Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value came in, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we can't no value the haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Yes, I do agree. Listen, we finally made it happen. We have the great Tulsi Gabbard in the house. But let me first properly introduce her background so we can get into a bunch of topics here together. In 2002, at the age of 21, she was elected to Hawaii House of Representatives. That's 21 years old. In 2003, she enlisted in Hawaii's uh, uh, Army National Guard. She was deployed to Iraq 2004 and 5, stationed in Kuwait 2008 and 9 as an Army platoon officer, uh, platoon leader. While a congresswoman, she served as a vice chair of DNC from 2013 to 2016. She was promoted to major in 2015. That's a big deal. Uh, she uh, resigned to endorse, here we go, this is when it gets interesting, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders' campaign for 2016, Democratic uh, presidential nomination. While in Congress, she appeared on Fox to regularly criticize and call out Barack Obama. She just wouldn't get aligned with the entire thing. So that was kind of concerning for the other side. In 2017, she was blacklisted by Azerbaijan for taking part in visit to Armenia in the disputed breakaway region of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, which is populated and governed by Armenians as an Armenian. This was a big deal. She called the U.S. Senate and President Donald Trump to officially recognize the mass killing of Armenian genocide, as well as the Syrians and Greeks, in 1915. 2020, she ended her presidential candidate and endorsed this guy named Joe, uh, uh, Joseph, I want to say, Joseph Biden. We'll talk about that as well. (laughs) And she's been a fill-in for Tucker Carlson's show many, many times. In October 2022, she announced that she had left the Democratic Party due to uh, uh, foreign policy differences as well as some other social issues. But nobody knows what party she's affiliated with. Maybe she'll announce it today. Who knows? In 2022, the uh, Security Service of Ukraine, this is a compliment actually, placed her on a list of public figures whom it alleges uh, to promote Russian propaganda. Another lady also said that about you years ago, I think. Mm. (laughs) The challenge is the following, folks. Depending on who your enemies are, this could be either deeply concerning or deeply good for you. She no longer receives Christmas cards from Clintons. And when she does, <laughs> our handlers open it first before she does. Tulsi. You know, you know what's funny, what's though? That? You get Christmas cards from her? That'd be so I funny. I got a Christmas card from Vice President Kamala Harris this last Christmas. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it, okay. was, it was, you know, like the mass-produced sure. one. But yes. I was surprised Did she sign it? Was there a personal was, note? It was, Anything? you know. Matt. Now, if she wrote a personal note to you, <laughs> what would that sound that, like? <clears throat> probably not... Full of aloha, I would guess. <laughs> no hearts, no hearts, no, nothing like that. Okay. So, it's great to finally be here. Oh, are you kidding me? First of all, you know, I feel like uh, 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 we've spent a lot of time together because I've watched you over the years. You're, you're a rock star. You're amazing. You're, you're one of the most uh, uh, necessary voices that we have. They get people who are trying to reason and think for themselves. People say there's another person like me out there, yeah. you being one of them. And uh, we're grateful for that. But today, you know, we got a lot of issues to go through with you. A lot of things that's going on today. Politics, DeSantis, yesterday, the F-16 approval of the pilots, Ukraine being trained. Are you going to give it to them? Are you not going to give it to them? We'll cover that. We'll talk about the military-industrial complex. We'll talk about Durham Report and a few other things. But before doing that, question for you. If you and I were in 10th grade together, who was Tulsi Gabbard in high school? I'm curious. Um. 
very, very shy uh, okay. introvert. I'm the fourth of five kids. I have three older brothers and a younger sister. And uh, by far amongst the kids in our, in our family and, and certainly even in my circles, um, tomboy, did martial arts, loved surfing, hiking, sports, uh, read voraciously, um, but very, very shy and an introvert. So if you and I were in high school, I probably would not have spoken to you. Not that, because that of shy, you. That quiet. Very. I, I would, like, my mom would send us to go to the grocery store and buy, you know, some, some bread or whatever. I would I would not want to speak to the clerk at the grocery store. I'd make my sister go. She, she is an extrovert. Uh, so April I would 12, make baby, her. Right? Yeah. April 12. So when did it flip? When were you like, you know what? You know, Why am I so nervous? Because I was shy as well. When yeah. did the flip happen I, for you? I, I am. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I'm still still introvert by yeah. nature, but, but the... Um, so, so you mentioned I ran for the state house and I was 21. Uh, it was very, very hard. The hardest thing about that was going and knocking on people's doors and, and starting those conversations to say, introduce myself and really asking for the opportunity, the privilege to serve them. Every single door that I went to was a huge uh, cause of anxiety just because of, of that. Um, where it eventually turned actually was... Uh, I had served in the state house. I had deployed. I'd come back. I had served on the uh, Honolulu City Council. It was when I was running for Congress that I just had to take some time of introspection. Just like I, I am pursuing this path of service that I've committed my life to, and yet there are these self kind of created hurdles of anxiety just because of that that shyness. And I, I, I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, what's, what's your problem? <laughs> well, you got to figure this out. And, and really just taking that time made me realize that all of those fears and insecurities, mm -hmm. the causes of that anxiety were actually very selfish because I was thinking like, well, you know, I don't want to sound stupid. What if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer to, and I don't want to bother them. And, and, and the, the common, the common word that came up as I was going through this was, was I and me. I was mm. like, well, that's a problem, especially as, as you know, I, I, I had made this decision to, to uh, pursue this path of service. And, and so that was, that was where things changed, where instead of walking into a room, something that would cause anxiety, and anyone who's an introvert and shy, you can probably relate, was turned around when I realized, like, stop thinking about yourself, Tulsi. Mm -hmm. Go in this room and, and take the opportunity to connect with other people, to share aloha with them, to smile, have a nice conversation at a bare minimum. And once I shifted my focus on uh, in that way, uh, it changed everything. I love it because when when you when we watch you on stage and uh, Kamala goes after you, and then you go the back and forth when Kamala and Biden were going, Joe were going back and forth, and then you came in and boom, and then the comments about Hillary and what she said about you, and everybody's wondering how you're going to react, and your reaction was even stronger than the way she did it. And then you see this person, you're like, this this woman's got poise, strength. Courage, confidence, is willing to stand up for herself. These are not qualities of somebody that's timid or shy. So it's great that that transition happened to you. But the question was, you I read think, a lot. I think to 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 your point on that, um, it, it it all. I mean, it is all rooted in a place of of uh, intentionally every day uh, choosing to not put myself first, service above self. And so as attacks are coming or whatever, all of these other things that are happening, whether it was in the past or just the stuff that we're dealing with now on a daily basis, you talked about some of the things in your introduction. Um, for me, recognizing it's not about me. So all this stuff is just like, I'm not in it for me. 
uh, the attacks can roll off my shoulder and let me stay focused on my mission. How many politicians genuinely, genuinely have that mindset where it's about service to others and helping the country, country first versus sort of being an egomaniac. I want to have power. I want to have notoriety. Uh, Unfortunately, not very many, even though we hear these words very often coming from politicians, the actions tell another story. And this was one of the most disheartening things that I found when I was in Congress for eight years was how many people in, in the House and the Senate, their whole identity is centered around this title. And so when when that is their identity, and I've seen this with people who've left Congress and found themselves feeling very uh, almost worthless or irrelevant because people aren't inviting them to things anymore. People aren't asking them, hey, what's your opinion on mm. this? And so for those who are there, you, you can see how they are willing to do whatever it takes mm. to keep that position to, or to climb to a higher position. Uh, because unfortunately, that's where they find their their self worth. Is, is that one of the main reasons why there there's no progress on term limits in Congress? Just because the people voting for it just don't want to leave. Yeah, I, I think there's that. That's that's one motivator. Um, it, it's also uh, you know one of the reasons why we see this endless uh, search and ambition for just more power and more control because ultimately what it comes down to it, it is about them rather than saying hey we and this this applies to both political parties as well their well-being their means of existence rather than like all right guys we have very real problems how do we sit down and figure out how to solve these problems in a in a real and lasting way? And, and for those conversations, uh, we're seeing some of them play out right now or with the debt ceiling issue, but we see how th- these things just don't happen very often. Tulsi, personal, your journey uh, of going from, hey, first here, military, Hawaii, then it's Bernie, then it's this, then it's major, then it's... You know all this I'm stuff. I'm a lieutenant colonel now. Lieutenant colonel, now. really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. You got, they got to update your yeah, profile. That's a big state. deal to be yeah. lieutenant no, colonel. I'm, I'm, I'm honored Respect. to still serve. Well, I salute you, Thank ma'am, you, for being a lieutenant <laughs> colonel. What was your highest ranking? Pack? Specialist. I crushed it. <laughs> E4. I did my two years. I'm out. <laughs> so you know, you, there's there's a real thing called the E4 mafia in yes. the military. Oh, he's and, very familiar with that. And, I was one of the leaders. I was one of the senior leaders at one time, and they cannot be underestimated. No, no. Shout out to the E4 mafia. I, I tell you, on a leader's bulletin, specialist party better than any other title in the, in, in the military. They know what to do. Okay. So going back to this, the, the, the vulnerability of going through the evolution of where you're at politically and philosophically, that's not easy to do. Because in a way, we have to publicly put ourselves out there to either say I was wrong about that belief at one point of my life or to say... Listen, I'm still of the same belief. You've changed, and just to affiliate myself with you, I can't do that anymore because yeah. this is ridiculous. And it's you, you've cornered me. You've put me in a bad place, but this is what I'm going to be doing moving forward. What's the journey of you evolving with your personal philosophies, whether it's foreign, as a military person, of course, that's something you have a lot of experience in, economically, as you advance in life and you're saying, okay, I'm noticing some of these policies don't make sense. Yeah. Socially, you're seeing what's going on with trans, Dylan, Mulvaney, all these things that you're being forced to kind of have to agree with this. What's that evolution been for you politically? Look, I, I think ultimately at its heart, it is about um, being willing to learn. I mean, really, it's that simple. You know, the the, the mindset and worldview and what I knew 
when I enlisted, you know, when I enlisted after, uh, uh, because of 9-11, like so many people, and then going and deploying into Iraq and having one thought about what we were doing there and why. And, you know, what I later realized was, was, uh, you know, a, a bag full of lies that was sold to the American people that a lot of us actually believed because we had leaders in both parties who were telling us, hey, this is true. This is necessary. This is important for America. It's important for the world. And then going there in that situation and being directly exposed to, um, you know, every day, the military industrial complex, you know, every, in our camp, we had one of the big, we were at one of the bigger camps in Iraq and, uh, KBR Halliburton was the contractor. Every single place in our camp from the porta potties to the little, uh, laundry connects, you know, they hired people from Nepal and the Philippines to come and like, Hey, you're going to do laundry for the troops. You drop off your clothes. They come back in a plastic bag, KBR Halliburton stamps on everything on our food, every single thing that, service that was provided in our camp came through KBR Halliburton. I just talked to a friend of mine who is on active duty, is deployed to Poland right now. He said, guess who is providing all the services in our camp? KBR Halliburton. Mm. We started making friends with some of the people from the Philippines who were there and like, hey, how much are you getting paid? How, how often are you able to go home and visit your family in the Philippines? Very, very, very little pay knowing they're charging the U.S. government and the military astronomical amounts of money to, to provide these services. So just one example of many of the exploitation that occurs, uh, especially during times of war, but also during times of peace from the military-industrial complex, who's making all the money, who is being exploited, and, and at what cost. So, you know, experiencing that, serving in a medical unit where every day I was uh, confronted with the high human cost uh, of war. The, our brothers and sisters who who paid the price either through injury or, or making that ultimate sacrifice. Uh, these experiences hugely impacted me and, and caused me to go deeper, to want to learn more about the foreign policy decisions that our country was making, learning more over time about the unipart, the uniparty that is the war machine uh, in Washington and the forces that be. So that's one example of many, but, but uh, you know, I guess, I guess intentionally having the humility to understand and know that I don't know everything and to continue to learn whether it's on foreign policy or domestic policy uh, and, and keeping at the forefront. What's most important is not me standing here and saying I'm right at all. What's most important is, is trying to find the right answer in that mission of serving the American people in the interests of our country. But, but I think most reasonable Americans are you. So most people are going through that process as well, but they, they're cornered at feeling guilty if they're not loyal to a certain philosophy or losing friends or not being invited to parties or what are yeah. people going to say if I post this, if I post that. So Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, you know, you endorse both of these guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At one point, uh, I like Bernie as a person. I actually believe Bernie more than I believe almost every one of the guys on the left. When I say I believe what his philosophies are, 
I think it's sincere. I don't think yeah. he's, of course, I'll call him out on the taxes and millionaires now, millionaires and billionaires. The moment he became a millionaire, billionaires and billionaires, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah. you know, as long as you're not that. So there's a little bit of evolution contradiction there. and evolution there for him <laughs> as well. Yes. So for you, what what appealed to you with Bernie? And then what was the uh, situation with Joe, yeah. uh, President Biden in 2020? Uh, so I, as you mentioned, I was vice chair of the DNC as we were headed into that 2016 election. Uh, it was starting to shape up to be a direct um, uh, kind of face off between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. Bernie obviously shocked everybody with the, the massive momentum and grassroots support that he built. The establishment, Washington, believing, I mean, Hillary, she obviously is the establishment, embodies the establishment, but they didn't believe that the power of the people could harness that energy to create a real competition, but it happened. Um, I had every intention of of remaining as vice chair of the DNC and trying to do my best as a neutral o- officer to ensure that um, as we went through the primary process that it would be fair. Uh, and truly neutral, which is the ru- actually the rules of the party. Uh, very quickly under Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was the chair of the party at the time, I started to see that was not the case uh, at all. You know, she was uh, making unilateral decisions, uh, not only without consulting us as officers of the DNC, but actually we would find out about her decisions oftentimes uh, when they were released to the media or on social media. Uh, but seeing very blatantly how she was tilting the scales to favor Hillary Clinton and try to handicap uh, Bernie Sanders, tried to limit his exposure to voters through the debate process, uh, implementing a rule that said, hey, any candidate that participates in a debate that is not sanctioned by the DNC will be banned from participating in all future DNC debates. How uh, can they do that, though? How can him, she makes the rules? Unilaterally. We were kind of talking about that last night, the... And your name came up last night. We're at the Cigar Lounge talking. What are, what are the disadvantages now that you've been part of it? Because you you were a star among stars. You know, you became a superstar where there was a time you, we talked about you every day on what you were doing. I'm talking politically when a new athlete comes out in the NBA or football. You're going, look, look at this right. superstar. This guy's amazing, right, what they're doing. That was you. But then the conversation came about. You know, she's not defending the establishment, and you need the establishment to make it. Now that you've been through this and you've been in that world, whether from the media side, individually, on the stage, you know, establishment going up against the Biden, going up against all these other guys, how much, uh, uh, how much does a candidate need the backing of the establishment to stand a chance of winning and to say you do? But if you were to go and go up against the establishment, these are the three things you need to stand a chance to win. Yeah. What would you say to that? I, I have never had the establishment's backing, not when I ran for state office yeah. or uh, city council or when I ran for Congress. I was never the obvious choice from a party or an establishment standpoint. And frankly, even had some people in the Hawaii Democratic Party who were uh, actively opposing uh, my my candidacy and so I was shocked when, when a couple of weeks after I was sworn in as a member of Congress, I got a call saying, do you want to be vice chair of the DNC? Like I had no insight into the establishment organizations. And literally my response was, I don't know. What does a vice chair of the DNC do? What are you really asking of me? But said yes, because I, I said, okay, well, here's an opportunity to try to, to bring about some reforms that would actually ensure the Democratic Party is truly democratic and listening to, and connected to uh, the people. And 
perhaps a little too idealistic as I went through that, but really my eyes being opened into the fact that, well, this party is actually has become a party of elites uh, serving the interests of the elites and not the interests of the people who they are supposed to be, uh, whose cause they are supposed to be championing. And so, so back, back to your question, I, I resigned as vice chair of the DNC specifically because of what was going on in that 2016 primary and, and specifically related to foreign policy. Bernie and I don't agree on every issue, but on foreign policy, we had a situation in 2016 where Hillary Clinton was being touted as, <clears throat> excuse me, the most qualified candidate ever to run for president in the history of our country. All of the talking heads on television use that line almost every single day. And yet they did not talk about what her record actually was. The, the stream of destruction and war and toppled regimes and failed states and dead bodies that she left in her wake. They refused to have her even answer uh, you know, basic questions about that record not in debate stages, not in interviews. And frankly, Bernie Sanders wasn't even bringing it up that much when, in fact, that was one of the biggest differences. I mean, he has a, a, a largely non-interventionist leaning foreign policy. I resigned as vice chair of the DNC uh, and endorsed him specifically on foreign policy to uh, maximize whatever platform I could uh, have to shine a light on that contrast, on that difference, and uh, and expose Hillary's foreign policy record and hold her accountable um, uh, to it. About can you can you be successful in politics without the establishment support? Yes, absolutely. Uh, is it the easiest path? Is it the shortest path? No. But if your interest is in uh, remaining committed to the people of this country or the people of your constituency or of your district, that's where my focus has always been. Uh, and unfortunately, we are living in a time where the establishment interest is not the interest of the people. So if you want to go play the insider politics game, the establishment game, uh, it, you'll, you'll, go, you'll go places. It comes at a very, very high cost. Uh, Going up against them. It, it, it even comes at a high cost of personal compromise and a compromise of integrity if you choose to play that game. And yes, going up and challenging them is not just challenging the DNC or the Democratic Party. Right. It is also challenging all of their partners in the mainstream corporate media, challenging uh, elements of the national security state that they are weaponizing for their own interests, challenging their friends and partners in big tech and social media who are very willing to do their bidding. So it is this whole kind of cabal of elitism that benefits off of having people in positions of power that they can control. And that's where, as you said, people were talking about me a lot at one point, but once they realize, oh, okay, she's not falling for the glitter and right. things that were dangling in front of her, and she thinks for herself and uh, it, it, it speaks her own mind, uh, that's, where, that's where the tables uh, kind of started to turn. And, you know, I stopped getting invited to the, the parties and the stuff that Damn. I know, Some right? Good <laughs> what, what are the, you says it comes at a cost. Yeah being purchased by uh, the establishment. What does that mean exactly? Like in terms of I've your credibility? I've seen, it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it in friends of mine, people who, uh, who came in uh, with the best of intentions 
and maybe throughout still maintain the best of intentions and didn't really realize, you know, in, in the, in the best sense of the word, didn't realize how, okay, well, I'll just do this in order to get this done, or I'll just do that in order to get, I'll compromise this or that or whatever. Um, and, and not really realize that they were losing themselves in the process. And I've also, I also know those who are very blatant about it. Like, yeah, I will in a very calculating way, do anything that is required in order to get myself to this position or this title or, or hold this, this amount what, what of a power. Life, They're going to hold you hostage if you exactly. do Exactly. And They're I've gonna... seen it. I've seen it on the house yeah. floor during votes, people being chased down. Now, if you, if you, if you do that, if you play that game, they've got leverage over you vote for this or else. If you don't support us, we're going to take away this money. So we're it's a threatening take... environment. Well, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so let's, but let's stay on this. So for example, the, the, we had Whitney Webb here uh, yesterday or two days ago, three days, Thursday. something like that. And we had Whitney Webb here, and she wrote a couple books going up against you know Epstein and a bunch of different Lex and all these guys. He, she's very good at what she does. And one of the questions I asked her, which has prompted a lot of discussion the last couple of days, is so all these establishments, okay, who is establishment? Like right now, if we were to say, who's the chairman of the board of the establishment party? Of course, it's not a party. Who would you yeah. say is the chairman of the board at the top? Mm. Hillary Clinton. Okay. You put her ahead of uh, Obama. Oh, yeah. Oh, so she is still ahead of Obama for establishment. Who do you put on the board? Like if you were to you say- Because you look at who, who was, who was uh, you know, even though they were up against each other in 2008, I mean, you look at the people who populated the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton right. being Secretary of State, and you look at the people who are populating the Biden administration. Who's his National Security Council director? Jake Sullivan, who is Hillary Clinton's right-hand guy. Got it. So you put her. So you don't you don't subscribe to this mindset that Obama's really on his third term and he's running the country. That's not where you're at. I think he is. I think he is playing a very impactful role, but uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, Spent decades still building that Clinton machine. So she's that deep. is still very much. Okay. You think she still plays a role in the Biden administration? Yes. So Hillary. here's a question. Yes. So here's a question. Here's a question. So if that's the case, to go up, is the goal in order for America to be free to go up against establishment, expose them, replace them with people that are statesmen, and hold them accountable? Would you say that should be one of American voters' top goals? It is the essential objective. We're on the same page. So now he, this goes. Uh, can I add one little thing? Of course, to that? sure. It is because you look at, um, and I talked a little bit about this in my talk yesterday about when you look at the words that the founders used in our founding documents: "We the people, uh, a self-governed nation." We are the ones who have the ability to make this change. It feels hopeless at times because of how much money and power and all of these machines that are that exist to maintain that status quo of power. But ultimately at the ballot box, we are the ones who have the power to make the kind of change you're talking about and hold these elected leaders accountable. And they need to be people of courage who have the backbone and the strength to completely clean out the administrative state the bureaucrats who have their own agenda uh, and who are very willing to either uh, undermine the direction and interests of the people that we elect, the President of the United States, uh, and and uh, continue to thrive off of this revolving, this corrupt revolving door uh, that exists between special interests and those who are unelected 
uh, yet who are making the kinds of changes through rules and regulations that should be done legislatively. Title IX is one example of this. Perfect. We're going the right direction. We're on the same page there. I agree with you. But I think, you know, the challenge then becomes the following. If you look at all the establishment and as well as some of these institutions that have made our lives horrible since November of, you know, 1963 till today. Let's go 63 till today, November 22nd assassination, John F. Kennedy. So I'm purely going November 1st till today. You can add uh, FBI, CIA. You can put in there DOJ, military industrial complex. You can, you know, Whitney talked about the big tech firms. She put IBM, but she put all the social media companies. She put Pritzker, the, the folks from Big Pharma, lobbyists. You said Fed, right? We went through all the, and the names, Clinton, media. Biden, you know, there were names from both sides, left and the right. Okay. When you think about who in the last 60 years that has had the weight to go up against these guys, you have to look at who was hated the most by those institutions and organizations and establishment. Kennedy was hated by those guys because they were on their way to want to undermine them. And another guy named Donald was, mm -hmm. right? So... Obviously, on two opposite mm -hmm. sides, one guy was a Second Amendment guy in 1963, John F. Kennedy. They were NRA card members. Today, I'm not sure he would have been a Democrat today. Maybe he would have been a Libertarian, Independent, possibly a center-right type of a mm -hmm. position he would have been today. But to go up against these guys that a lot of people think they're evil, okay, the the when you look at, you know, we'll go into this as well with the whole ESG, DEI, CEI stuff. Mm -hmm. We'll go into that afterwards. But... The person to go up against the establishment, how does the average voter be able to tell the difference on who that candidate is? Because whoever has the guts and the ability and the willingness and is a true believer to do that, every institution is going to pin him as a bad guy or bad girl. Yeah. They're not going to market this person as a good candidate. They're going to have to do whatever they can to do character assassination. So how does the voter see between that massive character assassination and saying, but I think this is the guy or this is the gal that can do the job. How do we differentiate between the two? People's trust in the mainstream media has radic radically, radically been uh, reduced over time. I, I think it's, at, it's probably at a historic low at this point. Uh, people's trust in our public institutions has continued to drop. Why? Because we have been lied to and cheated and uh, evidence has been shown how corrupt these entities have unfortunately become. So I think, how do we know? I think the first question is if you have, uh, you know, often the mainstream media, they end up parroting all of the same talking points when they're saying the very same thing about someone like, oh, this is the best person who's ever come along. They are going to come and save the country. Me? I'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm going to dig deeper into that person. This seems kind of suspicious. And in my case, you know, I've, they parrot the same talking points and accusations and baseless smears against me. I have heard from people who are saying, hey, I've heard them saying all this stuff about you. Doesn't seem right. I want to learn more. So I think, I think identifying the messenger uh, and uh, being able to see through that facade of lies, or it's not a facade of lies, they are actually lies, but seeing through that facade uh, to recognize the truth, or at least uh, the need to dig deeper to learn more, I think is is where uh, we're moving in that direction. 
And I think we're also seeing evidence of this with people migrating more towards new media, podcasts like yours, shows like yours and others who you know, where, where they can actually gain real information and they know they're not being fed like a soundbite by soundbite, mm. um, you know, a sheet of lies. What do you think about Trump or DeSantis as a candidate? Uh, tell me more. What do you mean? I mean, okay, so let's just say you are somebody that um, you're the Soros of the right. There isn't one, but let's just say you're the Soros of the right. The Soros of the left he is helping these guys out in ways that if you're on the left, you have to send this guy a Valentine's Day card, a, it doesn't matter, Memorial Day card. He's never served, but you got to tell him thank you for your service if you're a Democrat. <laughs> He's that guy, right? Uh, on the right, there's not really one there. They, you know, they, they think they are, but they're not really there. They claim they want to make the investment. They're not going to cut the check and buy Vice and buy Time Magazine and buy New York Times or LA Times and buy Forbes. It was just on sell somebody else. They're just not willing to put the money there. They right. kind of want to go live in Palm Beach, have a nice place, and be left alone and just kind of go have drinks and do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate because they're not fighters once they make their money. The Dems are more fighters and true believers. A lot of times Republican billionaires talk more than they actually do the fighting. Right. So, But let's just say you are that person, okay? And you're a center-right person with a lot of money. And you have the ability to get behind a candidate that's willing to fight against the establishment. Where would you put Trump, DeSantis, or even others as a qualified candidate to go up against this task? It's going to be an ugly one. Who would you say is the most qualified to do that job? Um, I don't. I don't know. Is is the honest answer? Um, I, I don't know enough about all the different people who are running. Uh, Trump has obviously shown he he has taken on both you know, all, all of the establishments, you know, obviously the Democrats, the Republican mm-hmm. party, the media. And I, I think that's one reason why a lot of people are drawn to him is, is, um, he says what a lot of people are thinking in some ways, even if it's not nice to hear, uh, but is willing to, to kind of take on these, these machines that have been perceived to be too powerful, uh, to take on. And I think, I think Ron DeSantis has done that in some ways, but, um, I, I think it remains it remains to be seen. And I think that's the beauty of this this election process is that voters will have the time and the opportunity as they should, both for Republicans and Democrats and, and with the DNC's decision to uh, not allow Democratic voters to have that opportunity is truly offensive and disrespectful. Uh, to voters. I saw what you tweeted yesterday about the whole with RFK. Well, let me, but what are we talking about here? And so Joe's like, well, let's, we said the same thing in 2015. Yeah, but he was a candidate and this is a different story because it's, you know, Joe Biden's ticking and he gets to choose and decide and there's no way. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it just, the, the message that comes through there with, with Simone Sanders saying that, but she used to be Bernie Sanders communications director mm-hmm. back during the 2016 campaign. And, the fact that she said, I think the beginning of that, she said, I'm trying to keep myself from laughing at Joe's question about why, you know, why aren't there going to be debates or are there going to be debates? Like they really think it's a joke. And that's this what is, they think. This is Joe us. Scarborough? Or Joe Scarborough. Okay, gotcha. Joe Scarborough asking the question. Who was he asking? He was asking. You can uh, just play it. Yeah. Play okay. the clip. The Democratic side, Bobby Kennedy Jr., Doing well. He's at 19 percent. Hasn't really gotten that that much out there. I mean, it's and I'm starting to hear more and more talk. 
about him. Are we going to actually have a challenge here? I'm trying not to laugh, Jeff. There's not going to <laughs> Wait, be. Can I just can I stop you for a second? Yes. Do you know how many people said the same thing about arrogance. Donald Trump That's in 2015 true. on yes, this show? Except the same exact laugh. thing. Yes, because there was going to be a Republican primary. But I really think that uh, the mealy mouth Democrats, as I like to call them, and some of my progressive friends who would like to live in a fantasy land, they need to come back to reality. And the reality is this. The sitting president of the United States of America is a Democrat, a Democrat that would like to run for re-election so much so that he has declared a re-election campaign. Right. In that case, the Democratic National Committee will not facilitate a primary process. There will be no debate stage for Bobby Kennedy, Marine Will Marianne Williamson, or anyone else to stand So we're going to have another Bobby Kennedy in an empty chair in the debate, right? There will be no debate. Yeah, no debate. <laughs> the Democratic no National debate. Committee administers the debates, and they're not going to set up a primary process for debates to for someone to challenge the head of the Democratic Party. So here, here's what I hope Bobby Kennedy does is is goes to you guys, goes to Joe Rogan, goes to multiple people who have platforms and say, will you host a debate? Invite Joe Biden, invite Marianne Williamson and let him not show up there. There, she, her, the keywords there. She says they have to come to reality. And what is the reality that the DNC believes that they are the arbiters of democracy and they will decide if there's no debates, mm -hmm. then there will be no debates. Well, guess what? There's a whole country out here that's actually interested. The fact that Bobby Kennedy is what I think he's north of 20 percent now. He's, he hasn't even been in the campaign for more, a month at this point. The fact that Joe Biden has such low approval, they're, they're what, less than 30% of Democrats who even want him yeah. to run, mm -hmm. and yet they're saying there will be no debate because of the DNC. There's a lot of folks out there who would like to hear more and learn more, and I hope that, that Bobby Kennedy and, uh, creates that opportunity and invites Joe Biden to show I, up. I think that's a, a brilliant idea. I think we might want to uh, implement that strategy, Pat. Question for you, Tulsi. I mean, I think it's disgusting that they're just kind of hiding Joe Biden in a basement. It's almost sort of like a mm. uh, weekend at Bernie's type of thing. They're just going to string him out there. But at the same time, if you look at the Republican primary, Trump has, in so many words, said that he probably won't even show up to the RNC debates. Do you think Trump should... I think you know, man up and, and, and debate I don't think DeSantis. it's a matter of manning up. I mean, I, I you know, Trump just did this CNN town hall that I don't know that DeSantis would agree to do a CNN. I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. But uh, for every debate that I've seen, Trump has done very well. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, doubt. so I don't but, I don't, but I don't think it's a matter of do manning up. Debate, but no, I mean, I, I think I think that um, I think that he would probably do well, and I think the voters uh, would appreciate being able to have candidates there on the stage. Obviously, it's up to him, and he'll make a decision, mm -hmm. but um, I think it would send a strong statement. Is it fair to say, you know, 2016, you were Bernie, 2020, Biden, you endorsed Biden. If it were Trump, Biden again in 2024, how likely is it that you would vote for Trump this time around? I will not be supporting Joe Biden under any circumstances. You know, the, the, what happened in 2016, or 2020 rather, at that point, was, um, you know, the, the race on the Democratic primary side had, had virtually been decided. And uh, I've, I've known Joe Biden for a long time. And I felt uh, that he, the, the Joe Biden I knew was a good-hearted man who had the best of intentions uh, for the country. And so I had hoped 
that he would listen to his better angels and provide the kind of leadership uh, that our country needed. Uh, unfortunately, he has proven um, that to be wrong. I mean, that 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 uh, that that hope, unfortunately, never never came about. And and I think uh, obviously he is the president. He is responsible. He is accountable. The people he has surrounded himself with uh, are uh, more divisive, uh, more destructive. Have pushed us to the brink of World War III and nuclear war from a domestic policy and a foreign policy standpoint. Have been uh, have have had a destructive effect on our country. That I'm concerned if they were to continue and be reelected, uh, it, it would take us to a place that perhaps we could not come back from. Number one and number two, before long we would we would have a president Kamala Harris. As commander in chief, which which I and others who wear the uniform find to be uh, s- scary beyond belief. What would a Kamala Harris administration look like if she's, you know, if Joe Biden is incapable of leading at some point? You know, that's a concern. Or if she's actually even elected duly, uh, what do you think that administration? Well, she would has look like? first of all, from a, from a again, the the most important responsibility that the president has is to serve as commander in chief. That is the sole job that only the president has, that Congress does not weigh in on. You know, uh, presidential candidates talk a lot about education and immigration, all these other policies. Well, you can't get anything done unless you work with Congress to get them to pass legislation. The foreign policy decisions that the commander in chief makes are decisions that that person alone makes. Kamala Harris is completely uh, unqualified and lacks not only the knowledge and experience, but the temperament to serve in that position. And what's dangerous about that is, number one, she will be manipulated by the military-industrial complex, by people who have a lot of stars on their shoulders from the Pentagon who uh, would like to see us continue to be in a state of war for a number of reasons. Uh, rather than to pursue peace and diplomacy. And she would, as we've seen with others in the past, she would feel as though she needs to project strength. It's the most dangerous thing to have a weak person feel like they need to project strength and have the U.S. military at their fingertips to do that. If you could only vote for Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, who would have your vote? Oh my gosh, I'm it's not, a tough I'm not, one. I get no, it. No, I'm not. That's like a ridiculous hypothesis. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not that ridiculous. We're kind of in that world right now. I would do everything Kelsey. possible but to that make sure that that, that were not the but case. But that's not that's not the question though. You asked the right question yeah. a minute ago uh, between the two, and she gave the answer yeah. that she won't be voting for Biden. So, yeah. which means it's anything but a Biden Kamala, because her concern is Kamala, and many people are on the same page with that. Kamala just doesn't give vibes of a VP, let alone a, you know, become a commander-in-chief. Yeah. That's a that's a scary yeah. sight for her to sit there negotiating with Putin or Xi. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's the first place I go to. I go sit there and say, who are the most top ten biggest power players or leaders in the world? Who do you want sitting there negotiating on your behalf without you being there yeah. with cameras off? Yeah. I do not want her negotiating on my behalf. I, I'll I just, just don't. I'll just yeah. add, add one thing to the, what you said. I, I think it's important. I, I don't believe it's anybody but Joe Biden. I, I don't I don't take that approach to anyone because we have some Republicans who uh, hold the exact same foreign policies as a Hillary Clinton or a Joe Biden. And so I think that's where it's important for us as we go through this process to uh, be able to look at each candidate and not just go off of like, okay, Republican, good Democrat, bad Democrat, good Republican, bad. Because again, we look at the war machine, we look at permanent Washington, we see people who may look a little different, 
may come from different parties, may say slightly different things, but at their core, their message, uh, they will perpetuate the same corrupt status quo. So here's a question for you. Um, I, I like to play the game. I'm with Shaq, and I ask Shaq, I say, Shaq, starting lineup, you got first draft pick, I got second. Number one, who do you pick? I got Michael. I got this. I got that. I got this. And we're putting a team together to see who wins, right? Draft pick. Give me your top three draft picks on presidential candidates that are the most qualified to fight against the establishment and have a fighting chance of winning or maybe making progress. Purely draft pick. Who would some of those names be for you? I think it's too soon to tell. That's not too soon. It I, is too soon I think to you're tell. dodging the question. A little bit. I think a little bit. <laughs> but but, here's, no, but, but I am. I am. Mostly because then somebody's going to say, "Well, I'm endorsing candidates that, for president." So and I'm not prepared then, to then do this that. Is what I would do. Then here's what I would. Do. Then forget about forget about top 3. Don't rank them, okay? Give names. And you don't have to give them in order. Okay? You know what I'm saying? And I'm being and I'm being serious with what I mean I by give names. I'm not looking for an endorsement. I know the, you're not, but that's how these things will be interpreted. But 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 if you look at it right now, like, okay, let's just we were with DeSantis a week ago at the governor's mansion. Ten, fifteen of us spent five hours together with, you know, himself, Casey, you know, others and watching to see how he is behind closed doors yeah. and you know what messaging and all this stuff is being given. We've already publicly announced we'll do a fundraiser at the House for uh, for Biden, for Trump, for DeSantis. Come do a fundraiser. We'll bring top 20 of the biggest influencers. We'll bring Bobby in, too. We would gladly bring Bobby in, too. Bobby, we're talking right now about doing a podcast with him. I think June 28th, we're doing a live uh, podcast with a couple hundred people with uh, Vivek. I would love to get a Marianne Williamson to maybe debate him and see what that setting will look like. Because if they're not going to, we're going to get them 10, 20, 50 million eyeballs. Yeah. We'll get the eyeballs. So yeah. th this is not a time for these guys to play big shot thinking those guys are not going to get the eyeballs yeah. anymore. But I'm sincerely asking you as somebody that I believe you, lo you love America. I firmly believe you love America. And I firmly believe a lot of people relate to you. And I know the, the, the um, uh, uh, I've been around business for 20 some years. I know how to dodge questions professionally because you have to do that when you're negotiating, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not asking, I'm not trying to corner you. Just give me names and why. Like, I think this part, like, for example, RFK, here's why. DeSantis, here's what, whoever it would be. What would Here, some of those what, names here's be? Here's what I'll tell you because, you know, uh, Ron DeSantis and I served together in Congress, but, but to be quite honest, I don't know him very well. So what I know of him is what I have seen mostly publicly, uh, but I haven't had a chance to, to sit in the room as you have to actually really get to know him both as a person, but also really to get into some of the more national issues to include foreign policy that would inform my ability to answer your question. What I will say is that people like Nikki Haley, uh, Mike Pence, uh, Mike Pompeo, um, and Chris Christie, uh, we're seeing Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson, they are all part of the uh, permanent establishment uh, machine uh, whose foreign policy would be very, very, uh, if not exactly the same, mostly the same as a Hillary Clinton war hawk. Uh, so th those those are the kinds of things that I, I have picked up on that I'm looking for as these other candidates um, are out there and they're talking about their positions on issues. And and unfortunately, as is always the case, I mean, you know, even though being commander in chief is the president's most important and foremost responsibility, uh, 
the focus on what kinds of decisions they would make as commander in chief don't often come up in debates or in forums. And, and a lot of these presidential candidates don't, don't choose to talk about them. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping as you guys have your forums that that's something I, I, that you would, that you would help shine a light on because it is, it is literally a matter of life and death to know what are the kinds of decisions these people would make. Are they going to put us closer to nuclear war with other nuclear armed countries or not? Because that, that the future of humanity is on the line. Tulsi, I totally respect the fact that if you haven't, <clears throat> you know, you're not prepared to make any endorsements and if you've never really sat down with DeSantis and, you know, it's kind of hard to acknowledge all that. But at the same time in 2020, you did share the stage with a host of Democrats, Bernie, yes. Biden, yeah. Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang. He's been on the platform mm -hmm. before. Cory Booker, Marianne Williamson, Beto, the, the list goes on. Uh, of all those names, who do you think you most closely align with or would be a good leader? How about that? I mean, these are people you know. Sure. Uh, who did you get along with, even on a personal level? Who do you think would be a good leader of that group? My, my answer today would probably be different than it was back then, largely because with everything that we've gone through since 20, like I feel like we've almost lived a lifetime from 2020 till now in 2020. It was this little thing called COVID. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just changed the world a little bit. <laughs> the, the little thing called COVID, uh, frankly, the, the, the proxy war with Russia via Ukraine. I mean, a lot of people's uh, lack of courage, unfortunately, has been exposed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that not a single Democrat, not a single Democrat uh, has voted against, you know, remember that first $40 billion round of funding to go uh, that, that kind of brought in the United States involvement in this war against Russia. Not a single Democrat voted against it. I think there were between the House and Senate, something like 60 or 70 Republicans uh, who voted against, but not a single Democrat mm -hmm. had the courage to even just say, let's not rush into this. Let's actually think about what are the second, third, fourth order of consequences right. that could occur once we bring ourselves into this. What happens when we start to turn on the tap? At what point do we turn it off? The, the Progressive Caucus in, I think it was November of last year, if you remember, they sent this 30 members of Congress, sent a letter to Joe Biden saying, please exercise diplomacy to negotiate an end to this war because if it goes on, it will not only uh, continue to create more suffering and death for the people of Ukraine, but it increases the risk of nuclear war. It will increase um, uh, the the negative impacts on our economy, on inflation, on hunger, and all, all of these things that are, that are facts, that are very real cost of this war. They sent the letter one day. Within 24 hours, they retracted it. They retracted it. It was some bullshit excuse like, oh, a staffer sent out a letter uh, uh, without our approval, which mm -hmm. is nonsense, absolute nonsense. We know what happened. They sent out a letter saying how they actually felt, and they got, they, 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 they got the hammer laid down on them and unfortunately didn't have the courage to say no. This is bigger than party politics. We as Democrats, they as Democrats, should have the courage to call out your own president. And I would say the same thing for Republicans. So, you know, it, it is I have been really disappointed on a foreign policy perspective, but also with, you know, men going into girls locker rooms and exposing themselves all and, and this being OK in the name of this trans ideology and 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 pervasive acceptance of something that that is just um dangerous and, and, and fantasy, this gender ideology title, like all of these things that are so obvious and common sense that most people see 
there, there, I, I can't think of a single elected Democrat in the House or the Senate. A lot of the, of the names that you've mentioned who've stood up and just said, you know, what the kid says, right? Hey, guys, the emperor has no clothes on. Let's just all admit <laughs> that. <laughs> it's not happening. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's really unfortunate. And it's not reflective of where I believe most Democrats are in the country. So none of those names, no one that you shared a stage with, you would look back and be like, that person is actually no. qualified. That person is good. They've no. all been dismissed from class. Okay, so to to finalize this before we move off this topic, uh, I got seven more questions for you on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me let me let me ask this. So 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 again, your your voice, whether you know it or not, I'm sure you know it, carries weight, and people uh, watch to see what you have to say. And so think about it from this standpoint: the audience is watching. This is going to get a few million views. Say total forty million views. Short clips. TikTok, Instagram, people watch you. <clears throat> Who should they study more closely and do the research you did? If you were to say, I think like you just made a comment and you said, hey, I've never spent uh, time with DeSantis. And by the way, you're not the only person that's ever said that. A lot of people have said yeah. that, that they haven't spent a lot of time with DeSantis. So he's not the guy that wants to be in the group setting. Like when you came in here, you and I have never met each other before, but we greeted each other with a hug. Hey, how you doing? You have that feeling of warmth and conversation great you know this is somebody that's likable charm charismatic people never really said that about him they've said he's sharp he's mm -hmm. a doer he's an executive all this stuff but who is worthy of the american people on their own going and investigating and watching closely what would you say um I think every every one of these candidates that taken that's taken the step to run so you know tim scott is somebody i know i like him a lot he's a great person um I'm interested in learning more about wh what his positions are on specific issues. Vivek, same thing. He and I have had a few conversations, great conversations. I like a lot of the things that he's saying. Also have a lot of questions. But I think going, you know, obviously Trump is more well-known. He's got a record. Uh, DeSantis has a record here as governor of the state, but also his uh, record, uh, you know, before that uh, in Congress. So I, I think I think it is it is very important. This election, the 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 importance of this election can't be overstated yeah. and so um i don't i think it i think you know as bobby kennedy is going out, people are getting to know him better i'm really not dodging they do say that the most important question but i think this one actually is and i've never said it is no but i i let me tell you why i think this one actually is i'll tell you why i think this one actually is uh, and I'm going to come back to my question on the yeah. last one before I wrap up. Yeah. Seven I, more. Hey, no, it's only one question. And I, ho <laughs> I hope she gives this one because I'm, I need your counsel. I need your help. Sincerely, I need your help. Yeah. Here's, here's why I think this one is. And I think this is the problem. Uh, you know the difference between a democracy and a republic? There's a big difference. A republic, the individual is protected from the majority. It's very important where the individual is protected from the majority. Right now, you know... Uh, uh, in every community, there's issues that goes on. In some communities, hey, you know, HOA is this much money for every person that lives in this community, but it's not fair. The people that own more land should pay bigger HOA than we're paying. That's kind of like one of the things that's going on right now. Okay, great. You want to do that? Yes, you should pay three times because you own the biggest lot and you have the most land here. No problem. Then I should also have the equivalent amount of votes for the amount of lots I'm paying for. So I should get three votes. You should get one vote. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. I'm okay with that. I got three votes. Your vote is one. Do you, no, 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 no. We didn't say that. No shit you didn't say that because now you know you can't bully the individual. So I'm an individual. I want to be protected. Mm. I think this next one is very important because if they flip Texas 
And that flips, you know, you're talking about having a Democratic president for the next 20 years. And if this election thing doesn't go into the blockchain technology where you and I can vote from home and you simply do a camera like this, whatever, the same way you do with your phone, and they show your ID, this is me, you say a couple things, they record it, they know it's you, then you put your name, great, this person voted, you don't even have to get off your, you know, the couch to go there, and that's a real vote. We have that ability to push for voting to become real. I, th- I think if we don't do it this time around, this is going to change a lot of things. But I'm going to go to the last question for you. So help me with this. Help me. I'm, help I'm me help I'm America. Listening. Help me immigrant. <laughs> help me. Help me help America. So if I'm sitting with uh, Vivek, I'll give you four names. Vivek, DeSantis, President Trump, and let's put in uh, uh, RFK, those four names. Mm-hmm. Give me one question I should ask all of those four. Uh, individually, it could be different. So I would ask Vivek this question. I would ask Trump this question. I would ask the Santas this question. And I would ask RFK this question. What would the number one question be that you'd want me to ask on behalf of the American mm. people of these four folks? Hmm. It, it would be... What is the first thing that you will do okay. to... I'm taking notes. To de-escalate tensions with nuclear-armed powers in the world and prevent the likelihood of nuclear war. We are on the brink. We are. That's a fact. Ask them directly, what steps will you take? 